The first section is about how your telco cloud program progressing. You know, is it going well? Is it ahead of schedule, behind schedule, that kind of thing. The second uh, section was about the strategic objectives. Why are you doing this transformation? That's where we look at service agility, CapEx, OpEx, vendor lock-in. The third bit was about architecture. You know, which architectural strategy did you pick and how is that working for you? Would you keep the same? Would you change? The fourth area was about deployment. Which components of the telco cloud solution are going well and which ones are not, you know, Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. And this is another in our, our Transmissions from Tomorrow series. This is the whole uh, themed series of podcasts around the telecommunications uh, industry, where we have thought leaders and uh, subject matter experts uh, from around the world talking about what's happening and all the news and trends in the teleco space. Today I have in the studio with me Gareth Price. Now Gareth is the practice head of core cloud and security consulting at Ericsson and he heads up the uh, European and Latin American markets. Uh, Gareth, thanks for uh, joining me. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Now I've, uh, I've got a couple of things that we, I'd really love to cover around some work you're doing on uh, cloud survey and some other things around that space and some of the biggest trends you're seeing. But before we dive into that <clears throat> and your key role as a practice head of core cloud and security consulting, at Ericsson, I wonder if you'd mind, uh, maybe we can get you to just share a little insight around yourself, a little, just get to, so the audience gets to know you personally and a bit about your background, uh, maybe uh, where you're originally from, where you grew up, and some highlights of your uh, academic and career path that got you to this exciting role in the first place. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm Scottish, um, but I live in England. I've lived in Ireland and I've lived in Japan. Uh, Japan was amazing. I was there for four years and I was there when there was the big earthquake. So I learned a lot about uh, M2M and IPv6 and all the wonderful things that happen uh, when there's uh, an earthquake there. Um, I, I've worked for Intel. I've worked for Logica. I've worked for NEC and, and now I work for Ericsson. Um, wow. And yeah. So for the last five years, I've been very focused on telco cloud, and uh, it's a very exciting place uh, to work at the moment. It is, and, and I think there's a you know one of the things that I've observed with uh, Ericsson. I've had the pleasure of being to uh, Schuster uh, in Stockholm, just out of Stockholm, and uh, sort of watching that evolution. And uh, it's quite exciting to see where Ericsson's at today, given that. Uh, you know, not so long ago, people were building boxes and shipping routers and switches and services and access points and things on poles and wires. These days, as Ericsson's been through this exciting transition, almost as what I turn to term it as uh, Ericsson's their own first client in this whole digital transformation and transition to being a, a cloud uh, and software-defined everything uh, operator, and then offering that as a service out to the industry. I think that's an exciting thing to see, but I, I do like the idea that everything that Ericsson's running internally, which I'm sure is in your whole world, has been cloudified, you know, through the whole development phase of migrating to OpenStack, a lot of the work around Heat and Nova and, and Horizon inside the OpenStack and the open source platform themselves to the point where you run on this platform yourself and all the boxes and kit you ship run that stuff, whether it's in data center or co-hosted or in-house or on the edge of a pole, uh, out in the IoT and the edge computing. This is something that's in the DNA of your own organization now. You're not just spruiking it as a product, are you? No, that's right. Um, it's really good to see Ericsson uh, uh, taking its own uh, medicine. And, you know, transformation, uh, one of the things I love about Ericsson is actually um, the communication inside. The company is very strong. Um, ever since I've joined, you really know where the company wants to go and why it wants to do it. Uh, because, you know, one of the things I've found helping clients around the world is that if there's not a clear vision, then it's really hard to change. 
because the first thing everyone says is why are we changing uh, you know why are we going to go through all this change and all this risk and all, all this cost uh, and I think uh, it's been uh, really refreshing uh, to see a company that knows where it wants to go and is bringing everyone with it um, I think what I've been doing um, it, it, somehow for some reason it wasn't a plan but maturity has been core to everything that we're doing. You know, if you look at the business case work we've done, um, we've taken what would be a normal business case and, and put maturity into it. So if you take, say, 20 or, well, even up to 45 telco cloud characteristics, and then you look at their maturity over five to seven years, you know, how long does it take to bring that capability in? How long does it take to really get it working, to get the tools and the technology mature, to get the people and process to be able to use it um, and to make it effective and efficient? Um, it just doesn't happen overnight. So we brought maturity into the way that we do economic analysis. And then we brought maturity then into the way we do transformation. Uh, because we can't change, you know, the telco cloud it's so big, you know, and it's affecting the industry in such a strong way that you just can't do it overnight. Um, you can't go from, you know, manual to automated to AI um, to uh, self-healing to self-scaling um, uh, to, uh, ex you know, network slicing and externalizing the network to enterprises and things like that. Um, these are massive changes, the digitalization of the network. Um, and it requires an understanding that we can only do it step by step. And, and so creating sort of maturity models that say, well, this is how we crawl, this is how we walk, this is how we run, and eventually sprint and potentially fly, I think has been, you know, really important um, in being successful in this area. Uh, because, you know, when you go into a, into a client, you know, they, they've got such different views of what they want to achieve. And I think, uh, you know, following each client's objectives and then putting them onto something like a maturity model that allows them to synchronize their views is very helpful. Because, you know, if, you've, if you're trying to uh, develop the infrastructure, uh, the core network, the operating model, maybe the IT, they're all going at their own speed in their own direction. And, um, and have, mapping them all out and showing the horizontal dependencies between all those different independent programs is really important. So um, I don't know how it's happened, but uh, maturity, um, whether it's in the economic side or the technology side or the business side, um, seems to be something that I get involved with every day. And it's made uh, uh, this job quite interesting. Oh, I bet it has. I remember I caught it with Jan Carlson recently, and in fact, he's been on the show as well. And it, we talked about a very similar topics. So this whole uh, I guess, you know, because, I mean, Ericsson's been around for, what, 143 years from memory now? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, a long-term player in the space. You know, there, there's a lot happening in the whole sort of, you know, I love this thing where we see, you know, ad tech, martech, fintech, everyone just adds tech to things. But, you know, am I going to bank with a company that's been around for 18 months and is a startup? Unlikely. Uh, but I'm certainly happy to have them uh, send me alerts if something happens to my bank account. But with 143-odd years of, of being in business and, and, you know, having formed things like 3GPP, the standards group, and inviting even competitors to participate, that maturity you're talking about and that, that approach to things, very level-headed thinking, is sort of in the DNA of the organization. I guess this is where there's an interesting t transition now where uh, when we think about there's still hardware and data centers and racks and so forth and on the edge of poles. But what's inside that hardware now is sort of, you know, we've seen it out in sort of public cloud. And we've seen it in uh, sort of, you know, the hybrid public on-premise, uh, private, and then all the nuances between sort of, you know, infrastructure as a service and software as a service and then platform service in the middle and then X as a service. 
But the software to find everything really seems to me to be exciting because you know, even my car now downloads updates. And I noticed the other day that Tesla downloaded an update and gave everyone a 5% increase in performance in the car. It was like software upgrade of a car, <laughs> um, you know. So I'm, I'm kidding. Well, you know, the thing is, the thing is, though, um, this is the challenge for a mobile operator because they, you know, they've been used to doing things in super safe, resilient ways. You know, change is, is risky. Um, whenever you download, you put new software into a network, you know, there's a huge number of processes and people involved in, in ensuring that it doesn't do any harm to the network. It really makes telecommunications stand out from many other industries. And, and some of the challenge that we're going through right now, or well, the opportunity, is that if we can bring in, even in the future, up to 10 to 12 software versions a year, sort of one, one a month, so to speak, um, then we can bring small amounts of change the, um, with a little bit of additional value, um, but with far more likelihood of, of working first time without any faults. Um, you know, it's a sort of DevOps concept. You bring in this sort of new software on a, on a pipeline, continuous delivery and integration. Um, that is what we're trying to do. And, and the operators understand the benefits of it, but obviously going from uh, a world where you take software and deploy it once and then maybe upgrade it once or twice a year, where everyone sort of round it like an operation, like delivering a new baby, um, to, to where you automatically update the software maybe every month. And somehow you do all the testing in an automated way and maybe in a smart AI kind of way um, uh, so that everything is still being tested. Uh, it's a huge change of people in process and, and trust and risk yeah, to be able to go from one to 12 changes a year per software element and to think that an operator might typically have 70 even you know 70 to 100 core systems that they're trying to manage and if you multiply that by 12 then you end up with a lot of software changing all the time um, so change is good and it's great that our, our audis can be updated automatically but the problem is how do you manage that risk and how do you change all the processes and people and organization so that that's done in an automated and safe way? And, and I think that's that's been part of the work that we've been doing. Oh, absolutely. And, and and we're going to definitely have you back on the show to talk about that very topic because it's, it's one that's very dear to my heart. Uh, and, and no, you're absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head there because I think when we traditionally think about telcos and operators and certainly organizations like Ericsson that are, that are building infrastructure and capability and services in that space, there's a lot of sunk costs that have been historically made and people spend money that expecting a sort of a 15-year ROI. And, and it, you know, the other day I was, I was reminded about uh, even things like, you know, uh, you know, latest and greatest products from various people and, and, and even the likes of the, the um, you know, some of Ericsson's portfolio that includes, uh, you know, the blades of the platforms. I think it was like an 8100 I was reading about the other day that had to uh, achieve NEBS 3 compliance. And I was like, hang on, NEBS goes back to like the Bell Labs of 1970s, right? So we're still building stuff in 2019 that has some compliance requirements to go back to the 70s. But there's a reason for that. And it's because it's got to get a dial tone. It's got to be able to make emergency calls. And no one wants to hang online while they get a dial tone, right? But I, I do love your yeah. idea that, that that software-defined sort of space now gets us into the CICD thing that we've been seeing startups and I guess a lot of enterprise benefit from, which is, you know, continuous improvement, continuous development. And that leads me to your key role and that is it. Um, I know that you've been working on uh, some work recently, particularly around a cloud survey that I'd love to delve in to, um, given obviously you're, 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 head, you're heading up that whole sort of practice head of core cloud security because there's a number of things there. 
Um, what can you tell us about this cloud survey you've been working on? Because it's it's one of the things I really like to delve into. I've seen this come up, and, and I, I know that uh, you've probably got a whole story to tell us about it. But firstly, what is the cloud survey you've been working on, and, and what was the rationale and driver for it? Well, um, we wanted to test a hypothesis. Um, uh, we wanted to, to really talk to the industry and find out where the industry was in their telco cloud transformation. Uh, we wanted to know what was working, what wasn't working so well, um, how the maturity was. I mean, again, it's this word maturity. When you're doing such a, you know, a big change, you know, a revolution in technology, things just don't happen overnight. Um, and we wanted to say, like, okay, you know, based on what we're seeing in the market, we're seeing that this is um, complex, we're seeing it's challenging, we're seeing progress, but what we want to understand is the different maturity and complex challenges that are out there. Do If, they, if you believe they exist, uh, Mr. Operator, um, or Mrs. Operator, um, you know, will you change your strategy? You know, will you keep going down the path you're on? Will Or will you change your architecture? Because... Um, uh, you know, the operator has a choice, you know, exactly what type of architectural strategy to go for. Do they go to, say, one vendor and have it highly integrated and um, and uh, coupled um, so that there's a lot less integration to do, um, but at the same time, a lot less maybe commercial flexibility because they're working with one vendor? Or do they go with many vendors and have bespoke best-of-breed components that all fit together into some great solution, maybe the, the best-in-class solution. Um, so that could mean that they've got the best components and the state-of-the-art, uh, but there's a lot of integration goes on there. And what we want to find out is where people were on, this, on that spectrum. Um, this is just one of the things we want to find out, but it's definitely uh, you know a, a core question. And, and then to understand what was working, what wasn't, and whether people want to change their minds from what they'd selected already. Um, so we've, we're about to release a report, the Telco Cloud Report, Insights into Telco Cloud Transformation. And it looks into that kind of question and it looks into lots of other questions. And I think the really interesting bit is it's, it sort of um, allows people to see around the corner because uh, depending on how long people have been on the journey, the answers are different. So if you've been in, in the Telco Cloud journey for one or two years, you're going to answer one way. And if you've been on it for three or four years, you're going to answer another. So I think... It, it's uh, really great to be able to see what other people are answering that are slightly farther down the road. Um, also, like you know, yeah, go on. I was yeah. going to say, I like that idea of seeing around the corner because this, uh, this is something we're challenged with every day, isn't it? It's, you know, what's happening tomorrow, what's over the horizon, and, and whatever decision I make today is going to impact potentially, you know, short to medium term in ways that we can't always predict, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I really, you know, as consultants and as Ericsson, we have a view you know, sometimes, you know, it's a personal view, sometimes it's a corporate view, but we have a view. Um, but the people making a decision, they have to make a decision. You know, the people we've been interviewing, you know, the CTOs, the head of core, uh, VP of network, those sort of guys, they, at the end of the day, they need, they need to make a decision. And what this survey and report helps them with is to understand how other leaders have made decisions, um, and based on and, and on based on their context, and they can compare then that and say, well, you know, um, you know, should I have gone that way or or that I've made the same decision as them? So it really helps them not to take feedback exactly from us, you know, which is easy for us to do because we, our job is to create ideas and insight. Um, but really to look at their peers and see how they made decisions and, and to compare their position. 
What are some of the key things you found from those conversations? I mean, it sounds like an amazing, I mean, I wish I'd been on that team. It sounds like an amazing series of conversations, as you say, from the CTOs through to the engineering team and, and the folk in the middle and the core. Um, I imagine there's been some interesting responses in, in that folk are on different stages of the maturity curve as far as their business transformation is concerned, the digital transformation. Um, I'm, I'm keen to sort of hear whether you think that sh- that push and the, the, I guess, the, the requirement to move is either being driven by competitors or consumers. Because often I'm seeing now that organizations, including telco, say to me that that some of this uh, drive to transition and become digital is not actually so much from their competitors. It's actually from their consumers demanding different things. And are you finding that people are, are ready to commit to that sort of whole idea of whether it's a single vendor or multiple and some of the challenges that come with that? You know, the whole need to become you know, running stuff that's cloud native, potentially refactor their own code. Where, where are people? Let's start with where are people in the maturity curve as far as the conversation you've had so far, and, and what are some of the key findings you've gotten from that? Yeah, well, um, most people um, who answered this survey, well, well that we interviewed, um, had got to the point where they'd say been in the journey for about three to four years, and they now had Telco Cloud live, and they had a few network functions, a few capabilities of the network uh, running. Um, on that cloud. And, and that's good news. It means that, um, you know, Telco Cloud has come of age and that it really it's really working and, and doing, um, really contributing um, to the network. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where, say, you know, um, I think about 40%, 45% of people it got to. Um, and there's a distribution, a really nice distribution of, um, you know, people that are either ahead of that or, or before it. Um, but what we were seeing, you know, it's interesting you said, why are people doing it? And that's one of the things that changes over time. Um, and the question is, you know, why? So if you look, uh, there's almost like three uh, three or four phases of Telco Cloud. The first phase is normally very invisible to the end user. It's really about creating agility and scalability in the network and reducing cost. Because if you have increasing traffic volume, you know, as people stream and, and there's more IoT connected devices for 5G, if you follow those traffic patterns, the network um, economics become uh, unsustainable. So you have to find a non-linear way to scale the network and cloud does that. You know, allows you to share capacity, use enterprise cost models, um, do automation, all sorts of things that reduce your cost of, of operations and the cost of equipment. Um, but that's just the first phase. The next phase, though, is to create more value to the end user, to create more pers- personalization and give them customized services. And um, and that's more about service agility, being able to create more value more quickly. Most operators will complain that it can take them like 18 months to bring in a new service. That's a long time um, from, from sort of drawing board um, to collecting revenue. Um, and I, I know this sounds a bit cliched, but our object, I think the industry's objective is to get that down to about three to four months. But the only way we can do that is digitally. And so that first phase about creating that automated telco cloud is about creating then a, a, a scalable engine room that can is a platform then for the rest of those services. Once you've got that working, then you go up into the service layer and you want to be able to create services and deploy services, not resources, but services um, in, in real time. 
So what the so the the real vision is that someone like a Tesla, someone like a, an enterprise, can come in over an API and ask for their own network. Today, you can come in and ask for for your own SIMs, perhaps. So a big car manufacturer manufacturer will be able to order, you know, SIM cards digitally, for example. But what we want is for a, an MVNO or for an enterprise to be able to have their own network configured their way to, for their devices, for their factories, for their cars, or for their cranes, um, and you know, in the right locations with the right amount of bandwidth, the right amount of security, the right amount of policy and performance, um, and to order that and manage it digitally. Yeah, and so we're doing this sort of digital change from the bottom up. First of all, creating this agility and scalability, and then creating this sort of digital flexibility. So if, you, if you'd asked the question two years ago, why is everyone doing this? They're doing it to save cost. If you're asking the question now, what we're seeing is everyone saying, well, it's about service agility. We want to be able to create value more quickly. We also asked another question. Well, we asked many questions, but we also, another option is business agility. Um, how quickly people can actually change their business model. So not so much about what they offer to the end customer, but the way in which they create that value. You know, are they using outsourcing? Are they using a digital partner, a content provider or what? How easy is it to onboard and take different roles in the value chain? The more digital we are, the easier it is to plumb other people in. And the more we've, the more carefully we design our processes and our organization, the easier it is to say, well, okay, that organization over there is maybe better or more efficient at doing this, so I can pass that over uh, to them. Um, so the, in the future, I think what you're going to see, so we've, we've started with cost saving, and then we've gone into uh, service agility, and I, I predict the next generation will be um, on-demand, you know, uh, customer-defined networks. That's really the next step. It's probably another year or two away before we start seeing that being the main reason. Um, but that, that's what's driving this at the moment, uh, cost saving and service agility. I guess telcos are now looking to leverage what we've seen startups and then eventually uh, sort of the more traditional enterprise and banking and wealth management and financial services in general and now transport and aviation and health and other areas, education where they've adopted cloud models, they've got that sort of fail on fast, fail and fail fast mentality where they're okay in their labs to build something and test it and crash it as long as they've got the capacity to roll back. That's going to be a little bit different in telco, but I guess as you're highlighting though, there's different levels of service, right? So if it's a you know emergency services number uh, in Australia, it's triple O, and in America it's nine one one. You dial that, you don't want there to be something that's going to be fail and fail fast, and so there's a different level of service that's going to be delivered there, and different I guess things like network slicing makes it possible to do that. At the top end of things, if I've got uh, someone who's just doing a, a software-based call through something like WhatsApp or Skype or whatever, that's a whole different level of service. And if that doesn't quite get an immediate dial tone, that's okay because we're paying different levels of, of fee for that. But um, it was interesting just listening to you talk about the the transition because I see um, as a result of that, and I'd love you to tell me if this is, this is on par, but it seems that the tokers have now seen this benefit come about. They want to leverage it. Um, they want to avoid those big sunk costs on things that have to change every 10, 15 years and then these long ROIs. But I think there's also this desire to be able to uh, create and build and instantiate and deploy new services and service offerings rapidly and quickly, not just from a money point of view, but also just because there's people demanding different things we haven't thought of yet, right? It, as you said, you know, one end of the spectrum, you've got uh, manufacturers of autos, automobiles now where they might have been buying SIMs. And, you know, my previous Audi did exactly that. It actually had a phone built into it with its own SIM, didn't even just, you know, literally had a phone built into the car. 
Whereas I'm sure soon it'll, it'll be just a 5G IoT device that's cruising down the road like a mini data center. Um, and, you know, once upon a time we did Bluetooth, now the car does Wi-Fi. So the, I guess there's this transitional shift at different levels of the business, isn't it? There's the cloud models from an operational point of view and a service delivery, but there's also the the cloud infrastructure challenge of getting that software-defined infrastructure, software-defined networking, network function, of uh, virtualization of various forms, and all the orchestration that goes around that. And then you've got, you know, all the challenge of getting the likes of, you know, your own team working cloud natives. Where do you see, uh, I guess, you know, there are probably different markets because when we look at South America, North America, Europe, Asia, et cetera, and, and Oceania, is it the case that globally people are facing the same challenge of transition at the same time or is there a regional uh, difference timeline as in is one particular market like North America ahead or uh, other 54 nations and territories of, of, of sort of the African continent in different points, where do you see the world being as far as the telco industry goes? Is there a desire demand to jump on this immediately across the globe or are people having to build and emerge based on regional constraints and controls? Yeah, um, I think where uh, the regional component comes in uh, partly because of the business model and regulation. Um, so you've got like in America where there are large operators and if you look at America and, and uh, East Asia, there are some very large operators that can kind of forge out on their own and say, you know, this is our vision. We don't need to wait for anyone. <laughs> we can go and build it, and then maybe we'll hand it over to open source. And you've seen people like uh, AT&T doing that kind of thing. Um, in other parts of the world, say with a European uh, focus, um, you know, People, what they really want to do is to reduce costs by, say, having one network. So you've seen some operators in Europe who may have 15 or 20 different operating companies. Um, instead of having 15 networks, they really want to have one um, with one operating model, one cloud, obviously maybe deployed into different data centers for um, resilience and performance. Um, but, you know, it's obviously a lot cheaper to run one network than it is 15. Uh, the problem is the data. The problem is regulation and compliance. Uh, we have uh, very strong uh, GDPR and other national security regulations that, that stop data flowing across borders um, very freely, probably for good reason. I'm not, I'm not challenging that. I'm just saying it's a, it is a challenge to get to this dream of having, say, group um, group clouds. So, you know, if you think about the original definition of cloud, there was the private cloud, the public cloud, and the community cloud. Well... The community cloud concept uh, would be ideal for many operators who would love to say, well, I don't need to run this cloud myself. I, I, we can run it as a group cloud, for example, or my vendor could run it for me and, um, and I could take services, a bit like a managed service, but from a vendor cloud. Uh, but there are challenges with that. In the survey, uh, we looked at um, you know the use of public cloud and uh, actually um, it responded very negatively. Um, most people were not really keen to use public cloud for their core network. However, what we did see is that some people were interested in hybrid cloud. In other words, they might can see, consider using public cloud as an, uh, a burst or expansion of their private cloud for, you know, for certain purposes. And the sort of thing I'd, I'd love to look into for them is, you know, what's the right point, you know, economically, how much private and public do you want what's the right balance between um you know your private investment and what you push out into the public cloud um for tactical reasons 
And the same goes, um, you know, with 5G networks. Uh, you know, you talked there about different devices having different needs. In 5G, of course, what we're trying to do is be able to push the network out to the edge so we can process things very close to where the devices are. That gives a very low latency, so it means very high-speed um, uh, processing within the network and maybe the applications that are talking to those devices. Um, but uh, it, it can also offload a lot of traffic from the network because the, the data isn't coming all the way back into the into the core. It's being dealt with at the edge, which makes your network more scalable. But the question is, how do you find the right balance? You know, where Where's the right economic point uh, to place that? Uh, processing because at the edge it's quite expensive to manage because you're managing data centers in um, near mines or in farmers fields um, or up mountains um, where, whereas of course it's nice to have your data centers in the middle where they're they're more economic to manage um, uh, that that's uh, yeah so regionally yeah um, I think there are different challenges um, but I think everyone has the same problem we got fairly to be honest with you in the survey you know, we saw really two groups. Groups that were in the journey one to two years and three to four years, and they had distinct answers. And then we saw another another division was whether or not um, they were organ the cloud program inside their company was a joint project between network and IT, or 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 they had separate programs. So network had its own um, cloud program and IT had its own cloud program. And it's very interesting to see, and it was a bit of a surprise for us. That where there were separate separate programs, there was more uh, success. So there was a clear. Although we never asked the direct question, you know, um, we, you know, you could see from the data when you did the analysis on the data, you could see the operators who had separate IT and network cloud strategies um, actually moved faster, and that, that was a little bit of a surprise because from an operating model point of view and from a cost saving, you know, a cost optimization point of view, we're trying to help operators to have one operating model between network and IT. Of course, there are some differences, but having the same processes, um, maybe not the same competences, but at least the same processes really saves you money. But it was interesting to, to clearly see that if people were doing it on their own, they were able to go out faster. Indeed. I think there'll be an interesting conversation that... Uh comes up in the public realm sooner. I've, I actually did four briefings to uh, state and government agencies last week, in fact, around this topic, where they asked the question of, you know, where do we delineate between sort of what will be smart city and resilient city infrastructure and the telco infrastructure and the traditional uh, business systems? And, and so I asked the question, I said, well, clarify what you mean. When, when you're talking about public cloud hybrid, they went, no, no, no. When we talk about a community cloud, so Australian federal government sort of is aiming for that same thing. They want a community cloud where all the federal agencies are running shared infrastructure and getting all the benefits. I see there's an interesting conversation where someone from the CIO's office rocks up and says, we've just deployed this um, uh, great stuff from uh, Ericsson uh, from the network up. Um, can we run our BI and CRM tools on it? <laughs> That's, that'll be an interesting conversation. But you've had some good yeah. wins. I, I know, I mean, I remember seeing the release over the last couple of days. I mean, I think it was the 20th of February you announced uh, in a press release that Telecom Egypt had jumped on board with their Cloud Core network, which I thought was exciting because that's a fairly substantial part of the network. But even more yeah. excitingly, uh, Mobility in Saudi Arabia had deployed your entire full stack, um, which goes to your point about uh, people's readiness to make this uh, a step. I don't say leap. I, would, I wouldn't say it's a leap. It's a natural step. And obviously, people are looking to get that competitive edge with all that flexibility and agility you're talking about. 
but for one, you know, one national carrier, as it were, in some sense, to, to go for the, 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 I guess, their core network component around your, uh, I think uh, it's, it's the um, Ericsson Virtual Evolved Packet Core from memory that it's referred to, to then yeah. Mobility Saudi Arabia to jump in with the full stack. Um, I mean, firstly, congratulations. That's exciting. But I guess that comes full circle for you, doesn't it, in your space around core and cloud and security consulting space for Europe and Latin America and so forth, particularly EMEA, that this yeah. is not just a, a win. This is a significant quantum leap forward that this kind of just confirms that, yes, this is ready, it's mature, the market's on it, and we're delivering it. As in, they've gone live with them. Yeah, well, we uh, we have made a lot of progress. Um, uh, you know, we've got those recent wins, but we have had substantial deployments all over the world uh, in every continent, I would say. I'm, I, you know, as a consultant, I probably focus more on the transformation challenges than, you know, our market statistics. So um, there's probably people better uh, acquainted with the data to tell you how many wins and how many sites. Um, but te- I can tell you that our teams are, are working all over the world, helping people to deploy these clouds. Um what I would say, of course, is the, the choice. I mean, you saw there that uh, one of our customers had chosen to go full stack cloud. Um, you know, we were asking the question, well, you know, how is it working for you to different operators? You know, maybe you went best of breed, maybe you went full stack. The survey went out to all sorts of customers, whether they were Ericsson customers or not. So even people who are using our our competitors' technology. We weren't trying to just hear about the Ericsson view. We were trying to hear about uh, you know any operator in the market um, that had started the cloud journey. Um, and you can see that um, there were challenges um, in every. You know, it, it's a very evolving area with uh, which has some maturity. Uh, you know, challenges to overcome. But everyone was making progress, and the uh, the interesting finding was that although forty five percent of respondents um, said that you know there was a better way, with hindsight they would have gone a different direction because of you know the, um, actually very few of them fourteen percent said they would actually change strategy. So you know eighty uh, percent believe they're going to get there um, for sure. So everyone believes that Telco Cloud is going to be a success. 45% said, you know what, if I was starting again, I would have done another way. But only 14% are actually right now um, ready to say, you know what, I'm going to go a different direction because this isn't working. So, um, you know, there are, in our view, there are smarter ways to do it. Um, there is, a, you know, a trade-off between commercial flexibility and integration complexity. Um, but, uh, you know, We've always said from the beginning, you know, in an area that's brand new, we're in an area that is being standardized and being developed on the fly, you know, probably for the first three to four years, you want to find a partner and get deep with that partner and make an investment with that partner to um, to get success. Um, but at the same time, manage that partner so that there's an openness so that you can change vendors in the future. Um, and bring in other components if you deem them to be superior over time. Um, and, uh, you know, if you try and do everything from the beginning, um, block by block, and um, from, you know, from 10 different vendors, that is a very tough way to do Telco Cloud. 
Um, but you know, we know why people are doing that. They don't want to be locked in. They see this as the opportunity um, to have, you know, vent, you know, some freedom, commercial flexibility. Um, but I think it's about maturity. I think you've got to pick your time. You've got to pick a time when there's enough maturity in the technology and the market to then be able to to pick and choose and, and create something that's going to work together in a best of breed solution. It's, it's a big challenge, um, you know, isn't it? Because it's 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 not just the transformation of the technology; it's also a transformation of the business. And I think one of the things that I keep coming back to when I think about cloud in general as a concept is that you know a lot of people talk about the technology challenge, but it's, it's a cultural and behavioural shift as the organisation goes from the top down. I mean, from the board level and standing items on their agenda around sort of you know what might have originally been physical infrastructure now software defined infrastructures. It, it's a significant mental shift and a cultural and behavioural transformation. In the, so I'm keen to just uh, one other thing just around what you had in the survey. So maybe just give us a quick summary of the structure of the survey and, and then when, when is it coming out and, and how are people going to be able to get their hands on it? I guess you're going to be the usual sort of global announcement. Um, walk us through the sort of the, the structure of the, the overall survey itself and what's sort of the key things that are in it. Maybe even some of the biggest challenges you found that came out of it as far as the trends go and then you know, a bit more detail about when it's coming out and how we can get our hands on it. Absolutely. So the structure of the survey was very much, um, uh, you know, how we're tel- the first the first section is about how is your telco cloud uh, program progressing. You know, are you ahead of you know is it going well? Is it ahead of schedule, behind schedule, that kind of thing. The second uh, section was about the strategic objectives. Why are you doing this transformation? I mean, it's not a trivial thing. Why are you doing this transformation? Uh, that's where we look at service agility, CapEx, OpEx, vendor lock-in, all those different issues. Um, The third bit was about architecture. You know, which architectural strategy did you pick and how is that working for you? Would you keep the same? Would you change? Um, uh, You know, what sort of choices did you make and why? Um, The third thing was about deployment. Uh, Sorry, the fourth area was about deployment. You know, which components of the telco cloud solution are, you know, going well and which ones are not you know, are hindering adoption and implementation. You know, what are the least mature parts of the telco cloud stack, for example? And it was a very, you know, a very clear message that, uh, um, you know, going from the bottom, that things are very, uh, things mature bottom up. I mean, we, you know, if you look at the results, uh, although we know day to day that the NFEI, which is that compute layer at the bottom and the infra- the infrastructure layer. Of course, we know that's not trivial and there's a, a million challenges with that uh, that we have thousands of people working on. Uh, but at the end of the day, the customer said that was very stable and um, and that wasn't really a concern. Their, their, their concerns had moved up the stack. And, and now they're at the VNFs, which are the network functions, the virtual network functions, um, and service orchestration. You know, how you go and deploy a new service in a digital way. It's one thing to deploy an application. It's then about stitching, threading those applications together as an end-to-end service. And they were saying that their, their main, the report's sort of main finding is that the maturity at the VNF level to be able to work on different cloud infrastructures is is not strong enough. And also that the service orchestration capability to be able to create services out of these applications is not strong enough. Um, that That's where the, the concern is. So people who got to the three to four year mark, you know, this is the pain that they were now feeling. If you were in the, the, the years one to two uh, zone, then obviously you're a bit more worried about building the cloud and things like that. But if people who got to years three and four, then they were far more concerned about whether any 
application could run on any cloud, which of course is the idea of cloud, but um, you know something that they weren't finding so simple in telco cloud. And then the ability for these applications to talk to each other and to perform a service uh, in a way, in a in a, in a properly managed way. Um, and, and you know, you talked there about the change. Um, yeah, the last area of the cloud was about barriers to service agility. You know, and uh, you know barriers to um, actually getting the benefits that you wanted from this program in the first place. And that was very interesting because um, you know they came up with four key. You know, as I say, eighty percent of people really expect cloud to deliver, and that was great news. Um, but there were four key barriers that they they, they perceived um, to get the service agility they needed and to be able to manage it, to have quality and performance on that end-to-end service. Um, the first one was vendor interoperability, to be able to get any VNF, any application to work on any telco cloud. The second one was service orchestration, as I said, the ability to automate the building of services, not the deploying of applications, but the actual threading of those applications into an end-to-end service um, and all the things that need to happen around that. So they are two technological things. But then the other two were, were actually operating model things. One was organizational silos. Many of the respondents said, look, one of the things that's going to hold back this program are the silos in my company. You know, I have silos in, in my different um, network function teams. I have silos between network and IT. There are lots of silos. You know, if you think about it, what we're trying to do in this digital telco cloud era is create end-to-end horizontal work streams um, that take in some digital assets, test them, deploy them, put them into a repository ready for release, and then when someone needs them, use a service catalog to say, deploy this service, deploy this application or someone comes in over an API and orders a network and then those digital assets are taken from the repository and deployed into the telco cloud and a network is built or changed or augmented according to demand. Now that's a horizontal flow, you know, a horizontal digital flow of digital assets and digital instructions and a digital workflow. But today, of course, the net, these networks are very much siloed. Not, not every, of course, some operators have changed. But getting moving from these um, vertical silos to these horizontal layers that allow um, service agility to happen. You know, to take away the friction, you can imagine if you're if you're having to go f- across mountains, you know, instead of walking on level ground, um, it's going to take a lot longer to get your service to market. So that that was one of the biggest concerns that people had. And the other one was legacy processes. Uh, you know, I remember one client saying to me, "Look, we've been doing this basically the same way for thirty years. Thirty years. So to come in and start automating things to change the idea." that you can automatically change the network, that you can push a button and a net, the network context will change without 10 engineers and 10 operations people managing it carefully as if they were doing a, a, an operation on a human. Um, you know, that's a huge thing. That's a huge jump. And so that process change um, was called out as the fourth big uh, challenge that people have to overcome. Wow, there's a lot there. I mean, we could do a whole show on that. I mean, vendor oper- operability itself, I mean, that's a, that's an entire hour's conversation. Service orchestration, I mean, that's something that a lot of your colleagues have spoken at length about on the show previously, which we'll talk about in another show. Um, I, I love the challenge around organizational silos because that's, that's something that comes up on a regular basis. 
But the legacy process component is something that doesn't often come up a lot. And one of the things that um, I'd like to just quickly touch on, uh, I'm not sure whether it was in the survey or not, but I mean, one one large part of your uh, overall role as practice head in core cloud and security is security, of course. Um, did this come up as a, as a topic or was it in the survey or was it a conversation piece or feedback? How much did the whole topic of security and and controls and policies and governance come into, and, and not so much just the straight-out data breach and hacking stuff, but also things like GDPR and compliance and data regulation. Yeah. I mean, where, where does that fit into it? Was it naturally part of the survey, or was it, did it just come out as a result of the general discussion? Security uh, was one of the options that people could pick, for example, as a barrier to adoption or an area that you know required work. You know, it, it, it was in there. Um, but uh, it probably didn't get the highest score. But in the interviews, in the you know, because all, all of these, uh, you know, it was all done by one to, uh, person-to-person interview, face-to-face interview, and certainly in certain countries like France, um, security was very high in the agenda because um, in France there are regulations um, set down by the government as to how you know a telco cloud should operate. Um, for example, the different elements in the core network, um, you know, their inter, inter-element communication, for example, needs to be encrypted. And that adds more complexity. I mean, it's more security, but it's more complexity. And, and there were some concerns um, from, from some uh, interviewees that basically, you know, uh, they, you know they wanted to see more um, cloud security. Uh, you know, their concern was if someone managed to penetrate the cloud, they may be then able to, to penetrate the uh, the applications above, and and that was um, something that they were looking into. Um, but most most uh, most interviewers interviewees, you know, were kind of okay with the security. We're doing a lot of security work, actually. Um, it's part of. Um, most of our programs because there's a lot of um, hardening that needs to be done and there's a lot of processes that need to be done like separation of roles to make sure that, that you know the same person isn't doing different things that you know should be done by different people um, we we actually do compliance monitoring on like the onboarding processes to make sure that people are bringing new applications onto the cloud in a secure way um, so there's a Every cloud project should have a security stream for sure because um, it, it's a very important part of the program. Indeed. And I'm sure that goes from the physical infrastructure and having uh, data centers and computer rooms and things locked all the way to stuff securely bolted to a pole all the way to the other end of the spectrum of being uh, the cloud container distribution component that you have a whole solution for where we, you know what's in the container and is the data being moved in and out of the container securely stored in it? Is it ephemeral? Is it you know, whatever the customer being? I'd like to, and I know we're coming up the hour, so I've taken up a lot of your time. One of the things I'd love to do, I do this regularly with all my guests, if you don't mind, is I'd love to hand you a crystal, virtual crystal ball. You've given us some amazing insights in what we can expect from this whole cloud survey, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, and in the description of the show, we'll certainly include links and URLs once it's available from your team as to how people can get it. But uh, you know, on top of all of what you've shared there, I'd love to get your view before we wrap up around kind of where we're going to be in the next three to three to five years with all this, because... You know, this whole transition where we've now got national challenges, as you highlighted with France, particularly with the encryption need in particular areas, uh, we've certainly, I mean, historically, we've had uh, the EU-US data shield for various data movement. Australia's had 
Privacy Acts in place since 1918, uh, and that's been updated about six times <laughs> since, um, where, you know, sovereign data just can't leave the nation. End of story, full stop, just can't happen. So, you know, all vendors have to be able to have infrastructure locally to be able to host platforms. And, you know, Russia's done that with some of the public applications like LinkedIn, for example, and other things. So these are big topics. But if you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball as a wrap-up, um, you know, just where were we going to be in the next three to five years? What's coming over the horizon? You are literally, as you said, one-to-one in these interviews, in rooms, some of the smartest and brightest and sharpest people in the world who are changing the world using your capabilities and tools and infrastructure with your support in the consulting space. Where's this taking us? What are some of the biggest things that you can see that are going to change either at a global scale, socially, behaviorally? Where are we heading towards in your gut feel? I'd, I'd love to get your insight because you're a better place than most people on this planet to sort of get a sense of where that's going. Well, I think there are several dimensions of travel. Um, I think we've got one, which is the transformation dimension. Um, you know, over the last few years, we've been very focused on the network service, the network layer digitalization. So getting all that hardware and software that used to be sort of proprietary, um, you know, blocks of, of uh of hardware that you bought from a vendor turning it into, you know, cloud and, and software and, and creating this software-defined network. Um, that, that's, that's been big. And I think we're now starting to move into the service layer transformation, the ability to not just run the engine more efficiently, but to do new things. Um, so that ability to bring in the service catalog, you know, I, mean, I know it sounds like kind of a boring concept, but, you know, uh, up in the top of the operator in the business processes, a service catalog is a very a service catalog product catalog is a very big thing. It's a very common standard thing that you order, you know, a customer order services on. But down in the network layer, it doesn't really exist today. In IT, it's very common. This is one of the examples of things being borrowed from IT and put into putting into the network. Because if you don't, you know, that car company can't come in over an API and order their own network if there's nothing to order it from. You know, so there needs to be a network service catalog um, that then you can order network things, not so much products, but actually whole networks on. Uh, and, and so the architecture of tomorrow, today architecture is about designing topologies and things like that, and maybe some policy. Tomorrow architecture is about de- designing, the network architecture is about designing the line items in that catalog to say, you know, what can I order at what performance, at what security, at what price, at what SLA? And that's a, that's a huge change. And that, that network service catalog is going to be critical um, to allowing the network to become fully digital. So that's a change of moving up from the network layer to the digital service layer. Because obviously digital processes have been done for some time with digital touch points and omnichannel and things like that. But that's, that's the third level of evolution. Another thing, I think, if you were to really look into that crystal ball closely, there's the end game of overlay networks. Because once you've virtualized your whole network, um, you can then present your network with a digital interface to other, say, global MVNEs, like, say, a Hutchison Global, for example. Now, today, of course, they do that for m 2 m so they can aggregate multiple networks underneath them to provide a global M2M service. Well, in the future, with network slicing, you'll be able to create global overlay networks, you know, so as an operator can project a network slice interface up um, into the higher level, and then an MVNE can go along and aggregate those different slices into global overlays. So you can imagine someone like Google, who doesn't want to probably lay fiber all over the world, 
could come along and then uh, buy uh, create global overlay networks for their enterprise services. So that that's where I think things are going. Um, uh, but to get there, we have to create all that service infrastructure. We have to expose the network in a very secure way, um, be able to create um, network slicing for 5G and manage network slicing. You know, a lot of people talk about the technology of it, but I mean, if, if you know, how do you manage, say, 10,000 network slices? What, what if the network was to go down and come back up? How long does it take to bring 10,000 network slices back online? You know, these are the questions that people like us have to answer. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very exciting time. So we're taking our maturity models, we're taking our operating models that we've developed for cloud and service agility, and we're now adding in, in things like containers for cloud native, and we're adding in network slicing, and, and we're doing some work with some leading operators on, on looking at what how does operations and business processes change with uh, network slicing. Um, so we can enable that global overlay network uh, one day, perhaps. Well, it sounds like exciting times. Well, uh, I have every faith it's all going to work because uh, whenever anyone panics that the internet's going to go down, I tell them the Border Gateway Protocol version 4 just keeps things ticking and routing. And uh, if, if anything, last year, I think it was May last year in uh, New York when I had the privilege of being at the uh, OSS BSS user group, um, there were 61 different operators who uh, previously might not have been comfortable being in the same room at the same time. And, uh, uh, you know, bayonets at 40 paces were all, uh, you know, arm in arm and uh, shaking hands and patting each other on the back about how they're going to co-compete and cooperate and, and uh, all the topics you're talking about of that, you know, openness of, of being able to move an application, whether it's cloud native or not from one cloud to another, moving services across networks. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's 100% going to happen because I saw that happening in the eyes and hearts of people last year at the OSSPSS User Group New York, 61 different operators on the same roof, all talking about how they can collaborate and make this work because they know that the market's big enough that uh, they don't have to compete with each other anymore. They just have to compete with the demand from the customers. Well, Gareth, it's been fantastic to know you. Thank you so much for making so much time available and telling us about, uh, I guess, some background yourself and, and your role uh, as, as practice head of core cloud and security consulting at uh, Ericsson across Europe and Latin America, and specifically the uh, cloud server you're doing, and can't wait to get our hands on it and have a read. Yeah, and I would just like to say thanks to everyone who participated um, around the world, and to say that it'll be out at the end of April. Um, it'll be on our website in the Ericsson.com, and also we'll have a PDF that you can download, and we'll be back to some of the interviewees to help them understand the results more as well. So a big thank you to everyone who helped. Fantastic. And in the meantime, they can also jump on the uh, Ericsson website and uh, underneath uh, digital services, the whole space uh, called Going Beyond Edge Computing and talks about distributed cloud. Um, so we look forward to uh, seeing your report. In the meantime, they've got a bit of homework they can do. And indeed, congratulations, everyone who participated. And uh, I can't wait to get my hands on this data. Uh, Gareth, thanks so much. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. My pleasure. Cheers, Des.